This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Guys. Okay. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm here. I'm here at the Center for Metal Arts once again. And before we get into it, I just want to thank my sponsors, um, Broadbeck Ironworks, an incredible uh, company that's been really supportive of me, 2x72 Grinders, Knife Talk 10 for 10% uh, discount uh, if you go to broadbeckironworks.com. I want to thank my friends at Evenheat, that's evenheat-kill.com. Definitely check out what they have if you're um, if you're hardening things, if you're making knives or tools or stuff like that. Go check out what they have. The tap control, solid state relay. Um, even he's been so supportive of me, and I really appreciate it. If you're in Australia, Nordic Edge. That's at Nordic underscore Edge. They're a great company uh, in Australia that sells. Go ahead, don't worry. You drink your coffee. I'm with you. The Nordic Edge sells all sorts of stuff for blacksmiths and bladesmiths and people who want to get involved in knife making. Go to nordicedge.com.au and see what the, the fuss is about. They're really terrific. Uh, they're once again another very supportive small business uh, helping people find their way. Uh, and speaking of finding their way, Maritime Knife Supply, that's maritimeknifesupply.ca. For all your knife making needs, I want to thank Lawrence Lake for all of his support. He's been incredibly supportive uh, for for us and other podcasts. Uh, and if you want to get your you get your resupply, you want to get stocked, whatever you need, belts and braces, steels, all that, go to maritimeknifesupply.com, one hundred percent. Boys, it's Trojan Horse Forge are doing it again. They have all sorts of new attachment. They have a new attachment for the stable rail knife finishing vice, and they're sending me some of their. Uh, Sentinel uh, oil. It's going to be incredibly good for finishing knives and other things. So I'm really looking forward to getting that. Go to TrojanHorseForge.com. Put in the promo code FULLBLAST10. You're going to get 10% off. Is that right? Yeah. Don't worry about that. We're going to get 10% off and uh, get you squared away. So once again, major thanks to uh, Sean, um, Sam, and Jeff. They're they're, they're the best. TrojanHorseForge.com. And can't help but thank my boys over at BakerForge.com. That's Koi and the boys. BakerForgeTool.com. They have all this wild, uh, very uh, uh, exotic steels. It's very approachable for uh, sock removal guys, for anybody you want to pull a razzle-dazzle in your life. Go get yourself some of that BakerForge steel. And if you put in the promo code um, full blast, you're going to get 10% off all that and other things. Uh, thank you to TotalBoat, TotalBoat.com slash uh, Full Blast will lead you to the, that's the page, uh, the affiliate code uh, link that gets you to support this podcast. So um, I'm really, really, really appreciating as a knife maker, their two-part epoxies. TotalBoat does a great job. They're very, very supportive of the community. And um, I'm very appreciative of them. If it's good enough for your boat, it's good enough for your knife. Trust me. Um, GL, I'm running through these just because we have some things to get to, but uh, I want to thank GL Hansen Sons. That's G, uh, they, they're the makers of this really uh, amazing cross cut. It's like a cross cut of uh, micarta with different colors and all sorts of stuff. It's called G Carta, and they have a lot of different uh, beautiful patterns that really are really cool for your handles. If you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com, you can see more of it. 
um, and uh, at GL Hanson and Sons on Instagram. G.L. underscore Hanson and Sons on Instagram. Go check out what they got going on. And last but not least, many thanks to my friends at Tormek. Tormek are the makers of a really great water cool shopping system. I am on board 100%. They're celebrating their 50 year anniversary with the black edition T8 uh, machine. I think it's great and um, I'm really uh, appreciative of everything they've done for me. And uh, definitely go check out what's going on over at Tormac. Don't worry guys, I'll get you next time. I'm with you. If you're looking to look at, uh, if you're looking to see what other, um, the other options of all my sponsors, go to the show notes and all the details are there, all the affiliate codes, all the links, all the things that you need. But uh, I want to thank my sponsors. They, they make this much easier for me to, to do. They help take care of things. They help, uh, they support me. They support this podcast to keep this thing going, which is very, very appreciative. So I want to, I can't help but thank. I go through these, these sponsor reads and sometimes they go a little bit long in the tooth because I'm really appreciative. But um I'm really appreciative of being where I am. I'm in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I'm here with the executive director of the Center for Metal Arts, Pat Quinn. Pat, what's going on? Everything and anything. It's every time I come down here. Now, if you're listening to this for the first time, this is probably like the fourth or so, fourth or fifth podcast I've had with Pat. And I really, it's a luxury for me because I've said this, I think I said this in the last episode with you, is I've been watching your work before you came to New York for the Center for Middle Arts. And to have the, have the luxury of being able to watch you grow as an artist in real life has been a luxury to me. And every time I come to CMA every six months or so, I'm always amazed at how much more you get done to kind of further your goal here. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate that. Sometimes it it's hard to see when you're here every day the progress that gets made and everything. So when you say that, it, it means a lot and it feels good to hear. Yeah, I mean, the, the the facilities are incredible. Every time I see, I mean, what you've gotten done in the Octagon, the Octagon is this giant space with these 3,000-pound, I don't think I'm even saying it right, these giant hammers. And every time... You got one restored. One was restored, and then another six months later, you're getting ready for the next one to be restored. And it is, it's such an, the first time I came down here, it was so incredible, but at the same time, it was very overwhelming as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Knowing, you know, at the age that I'm in, I know that I'm not that idealistic. I understand the real, the realistic aspects of, you know, kind of doing all this stuff. How are you able to, like, not be overwhelmed uh well i am overwhelmed but i think when it's overwhelmed with things that you really want to do it's easier to manage than being overwhelmed with things you don't want to do i think people really associate the word overwhelmed with um tasks that are undesirable or um something that they're not interested or whatever and that kind of overwhelmed feeling I think is is very hard to deal with and cope with but when you're overwhelmed with tasks related to um, your ultimate passion and 
vision for a, a place like this it it overwhelming is it's a different kind of word it doesn't feel so like crippling or or drowning or, or something like that you know i want to walk that back when i said overwhelming because okay. i started to think about it while you were talking and to see as a blacksmith or as a you forge you're you're a professional forger you've been doing it for a long time however you know we identify <laughs> frankly I've been able to watch you work. I've been able to watch you work, and there's this scalable growth in regards to your work. So it is, it's overwhelming for me because I haven't walked down your path where you're getting bigger hammers, or you're working with bigger things, or you're trying new things, or you're growing as a, a, a craftsman. So for me, it's through my lens of being overwhelmed. I mean, just look in the octagon and the 3,000 pound hammer. I mean, it's like 16 feet tall. And I'm, part of me is like wondering, how do you get, how do you paint up there? Or how do you do the plumbing up there? I mean, it's just, that's the, I think the overwhelming thing. But, the, but, it, but it is through the lens of me never doing anything even close to that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot like your sponsors, dude. I mean, I don't do it on my own. And there's people here that, um, and everywhere, honestly, not always just in Johnstown, but that support the mission and, and help out. And, you know, like I've, I've always said, it's, it's only possible with the support of the community. Right. And, and, um, you know, I might, you know, have my hands on the steering wheel, so to speak or whatever, but I've got a, a really dedicated staff and, and a great board of directors. And I have this really informal sort of like advisory board that I can go to and then, of course, all the students and instructors that make everything an actual reality, you know, so really without them, it's it's not possible. But yeah, so I, I have a lot of help as well. Um, from an outside perspective, looking in lots of times, it is just look like, you know, it's Pat here, like doing whatever it has to get done. Um, but the reality is I've got this support system and support structure that also play a huge role in the in the growth of this place and stuff like that you know the only difference is there's very few people um well that have been here like the entire time you know people do kind of come and go and play very pivotal roles and growth and big steps that we've taken and stuff like that but i think sometimes it feels like pat you know is pat's thing um because i've you know that's what you see a lot and i've been here the whole time and i'm like this constant figure or whatever but um yeah it's it's all possible from the help and support of others how has have you noticed the growth in interesting classes uh, it's good. It's really good. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to all your listeners, probably if they, if they're paying attention to the community and what's happening on social media and that the interest in forging is, is incredibly strong right now. And, and, uh, people want to learn how to do it and they want to participate in community-based programs and all that kind of stuff. So, um, the big picture is, uh, classes are going well that's kind of like the the short answer to it um, the longer answer is that uh, like I'm also conscious of trends in the community and in the craft and I'm uh, continually and constantly um, restructuring and 
developing new programs and things like that to, to stay relevant and to stay current with what people want to learn and the kind of experiences they want to have when they come take a blacksmith class. And then really it's like what, what makes CMA special and how can I um, offer this experience for people that is different than your average um class or weekend workshop or or something like that because um education for forging has never been more accessible than it is right now so it's like there's you know places you can go now all over the country to like make a hammer make a bottle opener like you know have all these great experiences and learning experiences making objects and tools or whatever that um is much more present than it used to be even five, six years ago. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, uh, the landscape is, is changing and I'm always conscious of that. And I, I really love the fact that, um, you know, you can, you can learn at a lot more places than you used to be able to, but it, it is paying attention to that and sort of generating and, and developing curriculum here. That's, um, I think as, as you might know, or if anybody pays attention to CMA is like, we are sort of slowly transitioning a lot more into like long-term educational programs and more intensive workshops. And, you know, that's all made possible by the student housing here in Johnstown. And it's becoming like a destination forging school for people who are like, really excited to try to make a career out of that and learn the 100% fundamentals of, of how to forge so that they can take that knowledge and, and then do whatever they want to make a career out of it. You know what I mean? So it's less of like, and we were talking about this with Pete yesterday at, at lunch, but um, although we still do this and there's a lot of value in this, it's, it's, not just the experience you know you can have the experience at a lot of places now so um it's more about teaching the the techniques and the philosophy behind good forging and efficient forging and stuff like that and it's less about um just come here to make a hammer right 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 you know you you make hammers here still of course um but it's often wrapped up in these bigger programs where, you know, we're discussing lots of other things about, you know, being a, being a blacksmith that's relevant to creating a career or how to be a professional or, you know, things like that. What, what I'm always interested in is, you know, you and I have talked, you've mentioned the fact that there are more places, there's more interest and then there's more places that are being, that are coming up where people can, you know, spend a weekend making whatever. And what's interesting to me is every year you end up, you get some of the best teachers around that are, you know, people are more watch, either watching bladesmiths or watching blacksmiths and you're able to attract, you know, the, the real high level teachers, instructors, which is a testament to what's going on here. Um, you know, you just had Nick Rossi down here, who's, in my opinion, probably the most highly decorated teacher in, in a bladesmith teacher currently today. Um, you get Salem Straub and you get all these um, incredibly gifted people that people flock to see. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing to me is when 
um, when I talk to some of the students here, after a couple days or after a day or so, they all say to me that this is more than just taking a class. And this is an experience. Mm-hmm. They all stay in. Last night we were in the rectory where the students were staying. Mm-hmm. We're all sitting around the kitchen talking. Mm-hmm. There was this great festival going on in town. We yeah. walked around the, the, the town and walked around and had... But it was all these people who none of us knew each other. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting around in the kitchen and telling jokes and telling stories and talking about this and laughing. And it was such a more of a communal experience. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you do have this communal housing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. There's a rectory mm-hmm. where people, students get a chance to hang out with them, each other and the, you know, the instructors and Definitely. whoever's around. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I know everybody knows this, but I'd just like to make sure that it was clear that I, I'm not trying to discredit these uh, no. smaller term programs and stuff like that. There's there's a need for everything and CMA still does offer a, a fair bit of those. Um, but, you know, it's it is here you have to kind of like, you know, place your energy where it is the best. Uh, you get the best sort of return on your investment and it, it matches the facilities that you have and the facilities that we have, um, the classroom and the rectory and soon to be the octagon for sure is is facilities that lend themselves to that kind of community building, long term education intensive sort of programming. So that's partially why we're shifted over to that kind of stuff. Um, it's not because, you know, I think we're better than other programs no. or anything like no. that. It's just, you know, we're just fortunate enough to be able to have the facilities to be able to run those kind of programs. And, um, yeah, I've been, been really happy with that kind of stuff. And also, like, you know, continue to develop more and everything. And, <clears throat> you know, every year is a big, is a big uh, hopefully, leap forward. And, and we try not to stay stagnant. And I'm always, you know, working on the curriculum specifically for the six-week workshop that I, I spearhead, which I'm, I'm very passionate about. But also, you know, we're developing our, our residency, which is, uh, is a one-month program. Last year, this year, we are able to expand it to six weeks, which is really great. And um, I'm, I'm developing this other class right now. It's a, a four-week-long program um, that is, is uh, geared towards people who want to become teachers. And so it, it, you can come here, um, and it's it's really in-depth sort of the course description and the application and stuff like that but I've noticed this like undeniable urge for people to want to teach blacksmithing and forging and um, I've created this this program where you can come to CMA work with me uh, develop a teaching philosophy um, you know we can go over my teaching philosophy. I can help you develop one. I help you develop a project technically and um, help you make sure you can succeed in teaching it in a certain period of time. And then you get some research time in the shop to work on it, take notes, develop your demos, structure the class so that the demos are at the right time and the students get enough information but not too much, and then the pace of the workshop. And then all the students get a chance to teach their project to the other students hmm. and do this like kind of round robin thing in a situation where there's no pressure you didn't get hired people didn't 
take time away from their families or their jobs to take a class with you and then all of a sudden you realize like oh my god like I didn't structure my demos well and you know there's a lot of pressure when you're an instructor at another school and um, so it's really fun workshop that I'm working on and it's a good example of like sort of growth that CMA is trying to, to achieve and, and you know when you develop a workshop like that there's always a certain amount of risk involved in launching it and are people going to be interested in it and you know all that stuff that the workshop teaches is stuff that I have to pay attention to when I offer it you know so now I've got all my research and work cut out for me to make sure they have a good experience um, but you know we keep adding stuff like that every year in hopes that it's well received and people are into it but you know being an educator and having taught for lots and lots of years and being exposed to a lot of teachers and a lot of students and with all these schools popping up and people offering workshops in their own shop um, it's it's education quality education is becoming incredibly important for me I I'm exposed to people who who say like oh yeah I, you know I teach workshops but I've never learned the basics you yeah. And that's mind-boggling. Well, but this is something that we've talked about a lot. The fact that because as a recreate, you know, forging or using industrial equipment at a recreational level is relatively new. There <laughs> yeah. isn't there isn't a long history of educate educators, yeah. teachers, like regular teachers for the recreational hobbyist. Or I don't mean to say hobbyist, but yeah. like the you know the recreational pursuit. So for you feeling that need, it seems like. Well, and all these too, and it's like, you know, um, people that say that too, they often, that doesn't mean they're like bad teachers, but right. there's the, the world we live in now is like, you can select an object or a tool that you want to make, and you can learn how to make that and be good at making that. Like, let's just say an right. axe or something, okay. and not learn the basics of fundamentals of forging. And then you could teach people how to make that axe. And there might be some sort of like spots where you could increase efficiency and stuff like that had you, um, you know, taken some basic classes and, and learned the fundamentals of forging. But because of social media, because of all the stuff you see, you know, you could be like, I want to be a blacksmith and I want to make an axe. And then, you know, within a year, you could probably make a pretty good axe if you dedicate the time to that. But that doesn't mean you're you know, a skilled blacksmith as far as the umbrella of, right. of the basic fundamentals of the forging process. That means you can make an axe. But what makes a good teacher, I think, is a strong understanding of the fundamentals of forging because uh, there's not that many of them. Um, and they, they take time and practice to understand and then to be able to articulate what's actually happening to your students is is really important as well. And I mean, that's all part of this class that I want to teach too. But like, yeah, there's more to being a good teacher than just ushering people through like an axe you right. know, or something. I don't know right. why I chose axe. I'm not, no, it's fine. Not hating on no, any axe. No, of course. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. In fact, I chose axe because I didn't want anybody to think I'm talking about them specifically. Right. So well, I don't know any axe makers. <laughs> I'm with you. I, the bottom line is, is like that's the the hardest part about teaching. And I've you know over the years of me taking classes and being around other blacksmiths, that is one of the things that usually happens is somebody's good at making something. They get the opportunity to 
I'm not disparaging anyone. I think that it has a lot, a lot to do with the fact that there isn't a long line of history of like you go if you there's a long line of history of English teachers or math teachers. There's like you know there's but there's not a lot of long history of this as an industrial or as a recreational passion. So that to me is like completely makes a lot of sense in terms of fulfilling a need that's obviously there and you know and a a lot of teachers and myself included and it's very important you are able to convey the how right but what about the why right you know what i mean and it's like you might understand that if you're making a parallel forging you have to push and use the front edge of the dies to get it forged out efficiently and you'd be able to tell your students that and they'll be able to do it. So that's the how. But the why is, is is your surface that you're displacing by the front edge of the die shorter than the material is narrow is wide, then it's gonna go long. And it's like there's a big all encompassing thing. There's more than just the how, you know what I mean? And that's a lot of what I focus on is like trying to trying to get people to understand also the why you do it. How hard is it? To I mean, I, what it, what it, I started to think when you talked about when you're developing these curriculums and you're talking about six week curriculums, how do you how do you develop and create a six week curriculum to make sure that through that six weeks all the needs are met? Practice and research and and time by yourself in the shop making projects working on notes you know developing things it's like what i think makes the six-week workshop so strong and i i I feel like um students that have taken it most specifically this year because it is a it's always a work in progress is that like all of my projects that i teach in that six-week workshop dovetail off of one another so it's like everything relates and nothing's random and it's like you learn these specific skills do this specific project or object or tool that illustrate that you have an understanding of of how to create this forging and then the next one encompasses those same skills but then adds a new one and that's sort of the philosophy behind every week in that workshop. So, and then, and then the next thing you know, you're you're building something that involves like all this sort of stuff: tapering, shouldering, anvil work, power hammer, top tools, and you're making you're increasingly making objects and tools that are that are more complex, and building off the skills that you learned from the previous one. And that's what takes the most time for me as an educator is I take all these projects that I've done in my life, whether it's inspired by a sculpture that I've made or a tool that I've made or a spatula or a hook or a sample. And and then I sit down and this, you know, this is what a lot of people might not understand is like how much time it takes put things in order in your office before you teach that workshop. I don't just like come here the first day of the forging focus and and light a forge. I'm spending weeks beforehand like shuffling things around, putting them in order, outlining how each day is going to go, what you're going to learn, when the demos are, 
how quick we're going to progress, what you should be expected to do during your open studio time, um, evenings and weekends, all that kind of stuff, so that if you're moving quickly, you've got a good understanding, you can progress and not feel like you're slowed down, and if you're moving slowly, which is also 100% okay, you have the time to refine and, and just get it at a fundamental level. I just met your the newest the new artist who's going to be doing your conference coming up, mm-hmm. Pete Matilla. On the sixteenth of September, it's in a couple weeks. It doesn't <laughs> feel like a couple weeks to you. Mm-hmm. It feels like a couple minutes. You're going to have the third Cambria Iron Conference. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Very excited. Yeah. This is one of those, another one of those programs that's in constant development, that's part of a longer term experience, community building, education, and then what's really exciting about this one in particular is it focuses quite heavily on the development and restoration of large scale uh, forging equipment in the octagon. You, so you have another, you have another 3,000, is it 3,000 pound? Four. 4,000 pound hammer. All restored, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And Pete Matilla is a sculptor, blacksmith sculptor from Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And he's. you guys are going to work on elements mm-hmm. that are going to be used in the uh, next coming class. Uh, the current class. So, so typically the way the structure of this sort of thing works, um, and this is only our third one, so it's, it's always a work in progress, but... I usually every year invite a master smith to do a collaborative sculpture workshop and um, they've been incredibly fun and rewarding and enriching programs that uh, people are super excited to participate in and um, and then after this one week collaborative sculpture the instructor is invited to do a demo in the octagon on one of the big utility hammers that's open to the public because also part of what we're doing here is making sure that space is available to be seen, appreciated, and used by the forging community. So this is um, the first sort of step in that direction of community involvement is having an event that's open to the public where the, the hammers are running by a qualified professional and um, and then they would make a demonstration. It's a one-day demonstration. So the limitation there, although it's super exciting and there's been some really nice works that have been made, is that you only have a day and it's in a facility that currently isn't a fully functioning shop. You've got the fire, the crane, hand tools, and the hammer, and that's it. So I've, I've invited people that I felt like we're really uh, okay and comfortable creating a, a large-scale one-piece forging during the conference because you, we don't have the time and luxury to like rivet a bunch of stuff together or plug in a welder or whatever in that space. So I'm like, ideally, you know, it's a one-piece sculptural forging, which is exciting, I think. Right. But this year is the first year that that structure sort of changed and. Um, because Pete's coming from so far away, and I sort of think this is how 
this is how this particular program has developed and will continue to develop. I felt like a two-week workshop was more appropriate because of the, the level of detail and complexity of some of his work, but also the distance in which he's traveling. You know, there's lots of factors involved in that decision. And so rather than do a, a workshop and then have a, a conference demo at the end that arguably didn't relate or you're left with a piece that you then have to do something else with, but it's after the program, we this year the conference is in the middle of the two-week workshop. And so students work with Pete for a week and then during the conference, we are going to forge elements of the sculpture on the big hammer that's then going to get added to the sculpture later. And we have another week to either further refine them back in the classroom or bend them or cut them. And you're not really like pigeonholed into this one day. I have to accomplish this by five. Otherwise, it's just going to be a heavy piece of steel that gets left in the shop. Right. Well, cause the interesting thing about demoing in general, especially blacksmith, you know, any kind of blacksmithing, is it's it's hard for people to. You think sometimes, you think somebody's actually going to want to watch for a full day, mm -hmm. but sometimes it becomes a little bit. You know, there's, it's time consuming in general, and you, sometimes you just want to see the the bang. I know, you know, I know. and it's hard to watch demos. Like I, I've, I've, there's, you know, I've been to demos where you're just like, okay, I'm going to watch this guy make whatever and it's just like eh, all right it's not fast enough you know so well then, i've always said forging is not a spectator sport well that's well that's the thing so then if you remove that if you remove the fact that you don't have to have something completely 100 percent finished at the end then it allows you to kind of grow to make the sculpture grow in terms of the final outcome yeah and people still get the same effect because they're watching a crew of got five guys with the you know the driver and then the guy holding the steel on the chain hoist and you have the blacksmith, they get the same thing. You know, all right. So at the end of the day, they're not going to see what their their you know the the end result. But I mean, right. you're getting something. You get everyone wins. You get the same experience. Same experience. Because, and then also you know it's there's a we have an exhibition. We have a juried exhibition with with awesome forge work from all over the world. Um, in our gallery here, there'll be a small demonstration happening in the classroom. The big big demo and the octagon but you know more than that it's 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 about networking and community building and, and getting to know people and it, it's a small conference and I, I really like that about it I'm not trying to just get as much registration and enrollment as of possible um, but it's intimate and I think that's part of the draw of it it's like you can come here and talk to everybody and meet people that you might might be friends with on social media but never met in person and this event, um, fortunately, attracts a lot of professional smiths as well. So if, if you're you know just getting involved or whatever, it's a great place to come and meet some of these icons in the field and, and all that good stuff. So it's like, yeah, the, you know, the hammer's exciting and we all want to celebrate the restoration of this shop and it's important for industrial forging and the steel industry and CMA's hard work here, but it's also a chance to like, get to know people, see some artwork and network and stuff like that. How, it's Has it been, are you starting to now that this is the third year, I guess it's still too early. I would like to, I would if it were me, I would probably be thinking back and almost seeing all the different 
artists you work with? Because the interesting thing, and I had a nice conversation with um, Pete, really nice, interesting conversation about Pete. We were just talking about art. And the idea of you being the... So the way it works is that there's the blacksmith who has the idea. And then you practice. I'm going to give this... I want to give the, this, the cliff notes of this all. And then we're going to expand upon it. And then you as the driver, you're the craftsperson. Don't worry, I got that. I got you. No, we're good. I know, we're good. Yeah. I know we're working on I time. I just don't want to rush it. No, no, no. No, I, I'm, I'm, I got you. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me is is you have the luxury of being the driver of the machine and you get to you you said yesterday when the blacksmith makes the decisions and he says to hit and then I hit I would I would imagine as as you as one of the I mean I'm saying helper because I mean you're helping build these sculptures yeah it must be kind of nice and interesting and once again might be too early to say to see the different um the different uh, avenues in which each artist is going to go through, like working with them in a very intimate way. I mean, when you're when you're working on a big scale sculpture like this, where you really have to have major communication, it might be. I would think it would be interesting to compare and contrast how working with different artists is. It is because, and and my role has changed every time as well. And the first one with Jake, <coughs> excuse me, I was. Uh, handling the tongs and some tools and so I was sort of like you know Jake's uh you know first mate or whatever like number one right like I was the guy that kind of like you know was working directly with the artist in front of the dies and uh Dan at that time was driving the hammer and then last year I drove the hammer and other folks worked with Zach Noble um, as as sort of helpers around the dies and stuff like that. And then this year, I'm going to drive again. Um, and I, I've got the, the team kind of assembled and uh, everybody's roles sort of laid out so that we all know what we're doing and stuff like that. But it is it is different, you know, it's like. Jake's work had a big long taper in it and a big hack and uh, it was a two-piece forging that got you know assembled with a wedge uh, Zach's piece was uh, is all parallel and using butchers and mass isolation and shifting and um, and we punched a big giant square hole you know we didn't do that with Jake and then this year you know Pete's gonna do some much much longer tapers and so you know, he was asking me about that, and I said, honestly, I've never forged a long taper on that hammer before, so we're going to all figure it out together. So um, it's really rewarding and enriching, and every artist brings something different to what they expect from those hammers and from the team and, and all that kind of stuff. So, the, I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant or say this, but there's a lot of learning on the, jo- on the spot yeah. to a certain degree. Definitely. Definitely. And that's where the to team comes in and the communication has to be really clear and everybody has to know their roles so that there's no confusion. Right. Yeah. He was telling me that you guys are going to spend this week working on team building to a certain degree. Yeah. Early in the week, we'll just be, you know, Pete and myself and Mark um, kind of like developing some stuff, uh, some forms on a smaller scale just to make sure we got everything situated some tooling and fixtures we need to make for the classroom to make sure that the workshop itself is going to go really well. And then 
throughout that we'll sort of transition over to like what what we're going to be making on the big hammer we'll probably make some half scale versions on the on the utility hammer in my shop and then um the 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 hammer team gets here on friday or thursday night and so we have friday and saturday before pete's workshop starts where we're actually going to forge in the octagon just to kind of give us all a chance to work together under the big hammer you know get get our language get our communication down know our roles and and stuff like that so that um during the day of the conference we don't have to figure out you know we already know all that stuff and it's a big ordeal it's anytime <laughs> you run any of those those giant hammers it's enormous ordeal i was just thinking now i was thinking now i, I we talked yesterday in the octagon and i, I noticed that i might have even mentioned this before but you raised the forge legs up, mm, so mm-hmm. the the bottom of the forge is the same level as the bottom die of the hammer. Right, right, yeah. There are these little tiny things that you don't think about until you see the the, the actuality of it. Like, I was thinking, I was thinking about the, the just the massive scale of these sculptures. When you just get in the the raw materials, mm-hmm. you have to think about where they're going to deliver it to. Like they, they have to be able to where in terms of how are you going to get it into the space? How are you going to be able? There's like the 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 tiniest details mm-hmm. are have to be thought of. You can't just say all right, just drop it over here and then I'll put it. If they, you got to know where they're going to where the construction guys are going to put it, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and then you have to get it in the first place, which you know CMA is not in a position to be ordering like twenty thousand pounds of friggin six inch square you know so i'm sourcing it very creatively at the moment with you know the support of generous uh other shops that work more regularly in big material and have you know pieces of scrap or whatever that they're going to get rid of and because of course cma is a 501c3 it can be a tax deduction and stuff like that but yeah i mean it's it's a big ordeal from the people you need to assemble that come from all over the place that have their own lives, families, jobs, uh, the material you have to get, and then the consumables you have to use, like diesel for the compressor and propane for the forge. And, and it's um, as somebody who's orchestrating all that, it's it um, it's a lot to it's a lot to handle, manage, and and it's a lot of pressure when you ask all those people to kind of like give up whatever they're doing to come to CMA and help out and stuff like that so um, it's not you know something that's taken lightly or done very easily I I think you know I'm working towards an ultimate goal of working in that shop much more often than we do now and I think every year we stack we stack days on that we're in that shop which is really really good Um, and, and ultimately there's a few people around here um, that I would like to get working on the hammers as we work on them more regularly, so that I can I can get somewhat more of a local team, so that um, forging on the hammers isn't such a big production that involves like flights and accommodations and and stuff like that. But um, it's all you know, one step at a time. Well, I mean that's the that's the idea of growth. I mean right. your growth as you know year to year is I mean obviously you're getting to that point the, I would imagine from the first year you were here the leap from the first year to here you were here to now you've made incredible strives and now <clears throat> the interesting thing is is in the beginning it was you I remember you saying I'm going to get that 
hammer working. Right. And then you got that hammer working, you got another hammer working. Right. And now it's like, okay, got the hammers working. Now I got to assemble my guys to figure out a way in which, you know, having a hammer is one thing. Yeah. But being able to operate is another thing altogether. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, CMA is a, a much bigger uh, organization than just running that hammer. And it's like, I, I could joke around and say that, like, Without self-control, I could blow an entire year's budget in that octagon very quickly um, because of the amount of money it takes to to run that. But I have so many other things to consider um, being the overseer of this facility and these programs um, that it's it's something that takes a lot of lot of management time, money, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and as we grow and strengthen our financial position and all that kind of stuff that the reality of working in there more often becomes um greater and and but also you know like we've been so fortunate because people uh, they really support what's happening here and I, I i can't thank everybody enough honestly you know so it's like and also a lot of people like want to work on those hammers so they don't do it for financial gain but like i've started to you know, try to raise and make the money to, to, to pay the hammer team, you know, for a couple of years, it's volunteer based and still to a certain degree, it is these, these people that I forge with, they just want, they just want to see it succeed and help in any way they can. And I really appreciate that, but it's CMA is getting to the point now where it's like, all right, well, you know, let's, let's compensate these people for their time here so that at least it's, it's, you know, something that's, you know, financially not like a hole in their year or right. whatever. Um, and so, you know, that's five people. And, and then it just, you know, the costs all add up and, and it can be simple and it can be cheap if it's, you know, just me and a forge and, you know, a pair of tongs or whatever. But, you know, if, if it's just that, then why are you at that utility hammer? Right. And so, it, you know, when, when you are forging material on that, that justifies the use of that hammer and those people it's like it becomes this much bigger picture sort of thing that we're working towards a more regular kind of operation of um and so i'm excited about about this and what this means and next year i've got some great plans and ideas for that shop um that are still in the works but um yeah make sense or 100 percent. no 100 percent. i I, the, I, I guess when I, when I use the word overwhelming in the, in the beginning of this podcast, I almost feel as though it's the overwhelmingness is, the, is not just the fact that you have the place or you're working with the place or you're building the place, but it is the preparation you have to do. This, it, but blacksmithing in general, forging in general, really is about organization. It's about organization of your time and your energy and then what you're trying to get out. But what I see these parallels with the fact that, you know, you're going to be working with Pete and the hammer team on the small utility hammer, which is like a smaller version of the giant hammers in the octagon. There's this interesting, and you do a lot of classes in regards to scalability, mm-hmm. the, the, the craft of scalability. And I see those parallels in regards to how you organize your time in regards to getting 
these giant hammers running and having your team and everything like that. I love seeing the scalability of thinking about, it's just me, I'm going to turn on the forge, and I know what it takes to turn on a forge, and then I'm going to turn my hammer, and then I'm going to, it's my own t time with myself on the anvil with the power hammer, and then being able to scale the, 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 real, is, the, real, is, the real parts of scalability in terms of what it takes to bring it up to the point where there's not many hammers like this in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the fact that most people don't get to see them in person. Mm -hmm. I really, it, the parallels are, are seem very clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's part of the main goal here is like, you know, let's, let's get people seeing the beauty and the, and the functionality of these machines that you can't really see on a daily basis. Let's get people who, I have always wanted to make large scale work actually forging on them. Let's get teams of people back together so that it's, it, you know, and for me, it's always been about like, you know, preserving sort of that historical aspect of it and um, working with, with people and, and with chains and communication and teamwork and all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot about that. It's a lot about the community. It's a lot about team building, team working, and um, you know, creating these really great uh, forging experiences and, and educational programs and stuff. When I was talking to Pete yesterday, we were in the um, we were in the octagon, and we were talking about sculpture in general. Mm -hmm. And he started to talk about you know it would be great to be able to have metal artists around, and we could do art critiques and. I made a comment that, you know, sometimes, you know, working with metal for a long time for myself in, in terms of sculpture, I have found that a lot of times that sometimes metal artists get stuck within the confines of it being about the metal and less about the final outcome. Mm. And then what I said was, I said, you know, a lot of guys, I know guys who are that, you know, they judge the, pro the process over the final outcome. And I was just, you know, making conversation. I was relatively, you know, uh, benign. And Pete says, that's one of the things about blacksmiths. Sometimes we're drunk on the process. Mm. And I was like, that's the best goddamn expression I've ever heard, being <laughs> drunk on the process. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, obviously, the sculpture that you guys did with Jake is so... You, you were mentioning, you mentioned it before... I'll put, a, I'll put a picture in the Instagram of this sculpture. The inter interesting thing about that sculpture is you said, in terms of sculpture, we say it's large scale, but in terms of sculpture, it's not really large scale because it's only what, five and a half, six feet tall. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of outdoor giant sculpture, it's tiny. Right. But the fact remains, the, the, the Im almost impossibility of the, the physicality of the creation of that sculpture makes it way bigger because you can't do it anywhere mm -hmm. it's not a cast sculpture where you can make it out of clay and then cast it into bronze the physicality of it when you put then when you guys push down the bottom bottom base and the way that the forge uh pushed out the outsides to kind of uh reveal the torch cuts mm -hmm. you know to create this texture that you couldn't make any other way besides this giant hammer it, it's this fascinating it's this fascinating conversation in regards to it, how important the process is yeah I mean and that's what's exciting about forge sculpture and, and being a blacksmith and an artist nowadays is is that and then we're all pretty limited to the size of material we can forge um, and CMA is a special place because it has the availability to forge larger than 
a lot of other facilities or or hobbyists or or general artists you know you know most people have maybe like 500 pound hammer or you know 5b or or like a four or five six hundred utility hammer or something like that and that's and it's really allowing people to scale up and stuff and, and perhaps there's more of these somewhere that artists will get access to but i think that's what's exciting about here is like there's pieces in there that are just pedestal pieces, but they're still made out of material that you need a 3000 pound hammer to forge, right. even if it's just a hack or a fuller right. or whatever. And then, um, that, you know, because those displacing the material with a tool that's, you know, hot material with a tool, you can't fake that. Right. And that's, what's exciting about forged sculpture i think is and especially on a large with a large scale machine even if the sculpture isn't quote unquote large scale sculpture right yeah well i mean that's the whole point is that the, the you you almost have to have you know the perform it's all it's it's what is a shame with sculpture in general is you don't get the privilege i'm usually of what it takes to make the sculpture uh-huh. Because it, with blacksmithing, I've always felt that it's very performative. And when I say performative, you're the the you have a limited amount of time with the steel. You have a limited amount of time with your movements. You have an efficiency of your the the technique and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's almost it's almost like you're only when you see the final outcome, you're missing seventy five percent of what it take what you're missing 75% of the story of the sculpture mm-hmm. because the years and years and years of, of learning how to perfect your craft the years and years and years of figuring out how to make design of sculpture it's almost like this it's like reading the last sentence of a book mm-hmm. without getting any kind of perspective right and especially considering like you look at that Jake James sculpture if somebody just walked past it you know, you, let's just say, for argument's sake, that it was anywhere in a sculpture gallery, or, or in a you know a field, in a sculpture park. When you walk past that sculpture, you walk past the sculpture. You, it's beautiful. It is it, figurative. There's definitely this quality of it being figurative. You can't get past that. But the fact is, is you don't have the history of it. it was John made up with this team of five guys and this goddamn huge hammer and it was the amount of time and energy and you're up at two o'clock in the morning you start the forge and you're how do you figure out how to make it happen you lose 75 85 percent of like the story of the sculpture 100 percent, dude 100 percent. even though it's all imprinted in every hammer blow well, but only certain people would notice that right well the, that's the process thing and that's the biggest that's the biggest like conversation right now i think about blacksmiths and artists and craft versus art and all that kind of stuff do you think that you there's some people who enjoy the journey and there's some people who enjoy the destination mm-hmm. how would you describe yourself journey yeah i don't care what anybody says it's all about the process for me right cuz i think forging is fun right and that's all that matters. I'm 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 just saying I was 100%. Yeah, it's like I enjoy the process. That's why maybe it's a sculpture, maybe it's a hammer, maybe it's a pot rack, maybe it's whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I've always felt that forging is like um and sculpture is a well, forging more than just sculpture for the sake of sculpture. When I think of sculpture, I don't necessarily only think about forged sculpture. I think of everything. Right. 
I feel like forging is a complete manifestation of... It's a physical manifestation of how organized the smith is. And it's a reflection of their <clears throat> mind. A reflection of what's going through their mind. And a reflection of the, the ability to be... Um, to be confident and organized in regards to your final outcome. And then, so for me, it's like, it just seems, I don't know what to say. I don't know. For, Dude, the outcome is important to me though. No, so. I'm not, I'm not diminishing it, but it's I, like, I know you, you're not saying you that. enjoy the, I saw you when you were making tong. you were making tongs with Hale yesterday. Mm-hmm. The look in between the heats, mm-hmm. the kind of high fives. Mm-hmm. The the enjoyment of it not being finished, but like the way, you know, the way you looked during the whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, tong making is I'm mildly obsessed with, but I think it's a great example of of just enjoying the process and and trying to refine your work and getting better at the anvil and the hammer and all that kind of stuff. And then I think it's also like a really good way to work in three dimensions, meaning like you couldn't laser cut a tong blank or water jet cut or something like that because in order for it to function properly and be strong you have to have these um, shoulders and shifts in in three dimensions to to develop strength in the tool and that's what i really like and and sometimes i forge shapes like the file vice workshop i just taught that's largely a two-dimensional forging, which you know means it's always parallel and, and, and the other two dimensions and, and all your tapers, fullers, and sort of stuff are only in a certain orientation. And so if you turn it up on its side, you know, you could cut that out with a water jet, cut that shape out. And and, and that like bugs me a little bit because I think the beauty of forging is working in three dimensions and making something that you couldn't do with modern technology or a lot of material waste and loss or something like that but um, tongs are like the, a good pair of tongs are like the perfect example of that what are you looking forward to this year this year well for the rest of the year uh, the conference Pete's workshop buttoning up everything for the next year's uh, workshop lineup which I'm excited about and uh yeah, I don't know. Just seeing everybody for the work for Pete's workshop and the conference, and and uh, yeah, another looking forward to another great year at CMA. Hoping these programs next year go well. And I mean, you know, one thing that I'm really passionate about um, is our scholarship program, and so all these long term workshops that I I talk about, I've I've been fortunate enough to raise money. For them to be scholarship funded to minimize the financial impact on the participant and uh, developing that program is incredibly important to me because of how expensive everything is the time you may have to take away from your job or your family or whatever to come here for six weeks four weeks two weeks you know so if if that's if that's if you get awarded a scholarship and that's free that makes it a lot easier for you to dedicate the time and energy to doing this. And I think so many people, especially youngsters, are, are trying to find their way, you know, as a blacksmith and a professional. And what does that mean? And, you know, working at different shops, getting odd jobs. It's, it's really hard to, to 
commit to a six-week program financially if I was to take the overhead takes to run an educational facility like this, split it over six weeks between eight people, that's unaffordable. Right. But I've raised the money with generous support from foundations to make it free if you get in. And 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 that's that's what I really care about here. And so the continuation of that, we've we've definitely gonna be growing on that next year. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, where that's headed. And you're getting a lot of repeat people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is the ultimate compliment, you know. It's like, and, and this kind of goes back to social media and your phones and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you can look on your phone right now and see a ton of different places to go learn forging. And they're all really great, but uh, when you come to CMA, I think you realize uh, the kind of work that we put into the facility and the program and the curriculum, and it's really exciting when people come here, take a workshop, are very satisfied, and then come back again next year. Um, and I, I don't have these metrics. I'm sure we could find them, but this this year felt like ton of repeats i wish i knew the percentage but to me that's the ultimate compliment yeah to come back well i mean it's a testament it's obvious it's more than just taking a class i mean you had a six-week class where you guys really all bonded as a group mm-hmm. you know and and it seems as though it just seems like a very, i mean i look you got me i'm on, I'm on board 100 yeah. percent. so yeah. and i'm just i'm honored to be here it's a pleasure for me to be here um I'm always honored to speak with you and just watch you and being able to watch you since for, for you know for the past uh, fucking 15 years I've been watching or 11ish years mm. I've been watching your your growth as a as a person mm-hmm. and it's pretty amazing pretty amazing thanks dude appreciate it anything else fight the rhombus fight the rhombus ladies and gentlemen I need you to listen to me go follow Setter for Metal Arts on Instagram Go sign up. They have a new. You have a newsletter, right? You have a newsletter. Or you have a, what do you got? Mm-hmm. All right, get on the newsletter. Go down to the Center for Metal Arts. Register for the for the for on September sixteenth. There's going to be this conference with Pete Matilla. Go follow Pete Matilla. He's awesome. He's wild. Pete Matilla's wild. He's awesome. Really enjoy everything about him. And you gotta you gotta support this guy. You gotta support what we're doing, what they're doing here. And I'm I'm honored to have. Just the tiniest amount of, of involvement. It's unbelievable. So once again, Pat Quinn, Hand Forged in VT, Center for Metal Arts. Once again, my friend, I, I appreciate you and I thank you very much. Thanks for coming, Jeff, of course, and for doing this and for being such a great instructor. Look at listen, guys. I'm not a flea bag. Alright, I'll talk to you guys. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.